Welcome back. You are listening to Nate the Hate on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcast. Be sure to like the video and subscribe if you haven't subscribed to the channel already. And ring the notification bell in the upper right-hand corner so you are notified each time a brand new episode goes live on YouTube. And I'd like to welcome in my co-host, Modern Vintage Gamer. Hello, Nate. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on as always. It's always a pleasure having you. We have a couple of interesting topics to discuss this week. The first one comes from Sony, and the second one comes from Nintendo. But first, I'd like to give this episode's dedication out, and today's episode is dedicated to 4A Games' Andre Korsenkin, who recently passed away. He was a very talented animator at 4A Games. You can see a lot of his work on Twitter, and the industry is a lesser place for his passing. But today's first topic is about the news that somewhat shook the Sony sector. Or at least Sony fans wanted to believe it shook their sector. (laughs) And it is the news that the PlayStation 5 has been, well, hacked, I guess you would say. Or you could simply say the PlayStation 5 has now experienced a jailbroken moment. Mm -hmm. And this got a lot of people talking because they believe this could potentially lead to homebrew. And unfortunately, one of the things that comes with homebrew is you do see people take advantage of piracy. And Sony platforms are no stranger to piracy in a lot of ways the PSP was a victim to piracy to the point where it completely collapsed the system because it was so simple to hack and modify that a lot of people were simply pirating games instead of buying software for the platform. And a lot of discussion around the PS5 being now jailbroken focused on that. But the true story about the PlayStation 5 being jailbroken is interesting, and it's something not a lot of people are aware of. Yes. You want to tell the story? Yeah, I'll give a (laughs) brief background on it (laughs) so people are now aware of it. So Sony has a website or program known as HackerOne where they let the community submit exploits that they have discovered in the security of hardware. And this particular exploit was discovered back in November of 2021. So we're talking almost a year now. And the exploit was discovered by Andy Nguyen. And he reported it to the HackerOne website and was awarded $10,000 from PlayStation in their bug bounty program. Now, what a lot of people may not realize is that the reason the jailbroke exploit step-by-step process was publicly known this week is because Sony authorized it to be known. They approved the exploit to be released. They disclosed it in full detail on HackerOne. And the reason they do this is, one, it is to verify that this was indeed an exploit that was found. 
and it can be reproduced so you know that the bug did exist. Now, another reason to do it is, as we mentioned earlier, they pay very well to those who discover these bugs and report them. And in this case, it was a $10,000 award. And then they just put it out there. And this was actually patched out of PlayStation 5s dating back to February of this year. So right, well over half a year ago. And wasn't it originally discovered in PlayStation 4 hardware, I believe? Yes, the yeah, exact the origins, same right? exploit yeah, it was in PlayStation 4 hardware. Yeah. And then it was replicated on the PlayStation 5 to get the exact same you know, result. And it was reported... Sony addressed it. And so if you bought a PlayStation 5, you know, in the last few months or just bought a PlayStation 5, you're not going to be able to jailbreak your system. Right. In fact, like nobody using their PlayStation 5 since February can jailbreak their system. That is correct. What I have heard, though, is there are some unconfirmed reports that if you do get the Horizon bundle, that you will Mm -hmm. get an exploitable system because it's running version 4. But that is not something I've heard with any certainty that that is to be true. I have heard some reports that people have bought Horizon bundles and they have an exploitable PlayStation 5. But the the reality is, Nate, yeah, it's going to be very difficult, especially even trying to find a PS5 is still almost impossible. So mm-hmm. on top of that, trying to find one that is exploitable is almost impossible, I would say, right now it would be very difficult your best chance is to find a horizon bundle if indeed this is what you want but look um i guess we can talk about this in in some more detail you're quite right about the hacker one initiative the bug bounty program sony's been doing this for a long time this is not something that is anything anything new they've been doing it pretty much since the days of the ps4 when it started even maybe before that Uh, Someone may be able to tell me if that's true. But the idea is, you know, incentivizing security researchers to find exploits, get paid for it. So you're doing, you know, you're a white hat hacker, you know, you're not doing anything malicious or illegal and you're Mm -hmm. disclosing your findings to Sony. They in turn patch them in a firmware and then by the time they make them public and disclose them, then those firmwares have long and truly been passed and there's really, you know, that loop or that loophole has been closed off. Now, if you're someone like me that has a PS5 sitting in, in, you know, your cupboard waiting for the day where an exploit was found, then great. But most people aren't going to really benefit from this. But it is, I will say it is an interesting discovery that this was made public this week because... You know, there's obvious questions now about, well, what happens to the PS5? Does this open up the door? And you mentioned this, Nate, does this open up the door to homebrew and piracy and all those things? Well, the reality is, yes, it does. But right now, the jailbreak is, I'm going to call it a jailbreak. Um, It's very much in its early stages of discovery. So... Uh, I made a video on this and anyone is welcome to go check out my channel if you haven't seen the video. But essentially, all it's allowing you to do right now is get access to the debug menu, which is the 
it's not a hidden menu, but it's a it's a menu that's in your system settings that should only be there if you run a development kit or a test kit. And the main purpose of the debug menu is to have access to the package installer where you can install package files. So if you have a you know a, a copy of um, something on your flash drive that's a, a PKG file, you should be able to install it on your exploitable PS5. Now, unfortunately, you can't do that right now because there is still work to be done. There are still um, additional things and discoveries that need to happen. So I think it's interesting that this uh, story broke this week in the news because there was a lot of, I saw saw a lot of, I don't want to say misleading, but I saw a lot of reports where the information that people were presenting was just completely inaccurate. And I think it really just goes down to that they didn't do enough research, right? So I I read stories about how you can run PT and and 60 frames per second. Bloodborne is now a reality on the PS5. None of those things you can do right now. At the moment, the only thing you can do is access the debug settings. Uh, So will there be more to come? Probably. I mean, if we look at the PlayStation 4 and how that has been exploited, it's, its trajectory is very similar in that it took about two or so years after the launch of the system where a public exploit was discovered. Now, there were exploits that were found pretty much since the day the system had released, but I'm talking about public exploits. It took about two years or so, and we're kind of at that point now with the PS5. So, you know, I, I think um, I think it's interesting um, for someone like me that's kind of into this stuff. And honestly, Nate, for me, I felt like it was just only a matter of time before um, the PS5 was, was jailbroken and and made and this was made public it it seems like sony has you know they have a history of this you know where and that look they've never really claimed to have you know an an, an unhackable system or anything like that but um you know going back to you mentioned the psp but going back even further to the ps1 there were mod chips for the ps1 there were mod chips for the ps2 the ps3 was famously exploited after sony took away Linux, if you recall that in twenty in two thousand and ten, the PSP has been well and truly, uh, you know, hacked. The Vita, of course, is 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 something that has been hacked. The PS4 and now the PS5. So it's really just, you know, it, it's just one of those things that happens um, in game consoles. And, and Sony, unfortunately, I don't think there's any system they've ever released that has a a, a clean record. And and the Sony PS5 is no exception. We'll be back after a quick break. Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At the Gaming Blender, we take randomized genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper, and with the permadeath of XCOM. Then that all has to be an action adventure. Yes. Ooh, dear. Yes. And sometimes... It doesn't quite work. And you you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative. A construction off. The <laughs> way the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely. Entirely. Check out the gaming blender on all your favourite podcast platforms now. Do you think initiatives like the hacker one and the bug bounty mm-hmm. will help them you know in the future maybe 
eventually create a platform that is, in air quotes, unhackable? Well, that is a great question. I think my answer is no. And it's simply because there's always humans that work on software and humans mm-hmm. make humans make mistakes. And the reality is it doesn't matter if you have, you know, the best secured hypervisor on the planet and everything that is in your hardware is encrypted with, you know, 512 bit encryption, which would take, you know, millions of years to, to brute force. If there's a weak point somewhere and whether that is via a web browser or via a file system bug or via something, it will be found and it will become your kind of entry point for, you know, exploiting the system. Now, someone's going to, in the chat, is going to ask, so I want to get ahead of this already and just answer it. Someone's going to ask, well, why hasn't the Xbox One and the Series X and the Series S been hacked in the same way as Sony stuff? That is a really good question. I think the answer to that is there is little motivation to do so. And it's simply because the developer mode is available on the Xbox line of hardware. So you pay your $10 and you get access to the dev mode where you can pretty much do anything you want on there. We've seen mm-hmm. that you can run emulators, you can run RetroArch, you can run PS2, uh, sw- uh, not Switch, you can play PS2, GameCube, Nintendo Wii games, Dreamcast, go crazy. In, uh, Microsoft gives you, a, they give you a sandbox, a very well curated and secure sandbox for people that want to build homebrew to just do do it. So they've taken a lot of motivation away from hackers to even bother to hack the system when you just pay your money for dev mode. Sony, they don't have anything like that. Now they did with Linux on the PS3. And again, <laughs> once they took it away, that's when that's when hackers decided, well, that's not good enough. We want we want it back. So they kind of just took matters into their own hands. But Sony, even on the PS5, doesn't have something where, you know, someone that wants to tinker around a hobbyist or a security person go in and make some cool homebrew or make some some small games and stuff like that. So I think that's the, the main difference. I guess what I'm, you know, saying here is Xbox isn't, it's not the Xbox is more secure. It's probably not. It's probably around the same levels as the PlayStation 5. It's just no one's looking at the Xbox simply because mm-hmm. the developer mode is, is in place. And I think that's a very good motivator for most people to say, we don't need to hack this system anymore. Yeah, that's been one thing with hacker groups that we've seen over the you know many years is that if you challenge them or yes. if you give them a reason to hack your platform you put a target on your back. Yep. And as you mentioned with the Xbox, there's just no reason for them to do it. They're already open and they've already more or less have said, have fun. And the PlayStation 5, not that they are openly challenging the group or the community, but they don't have that openness. So it is a closed vault and people are curious as to how they're going to be able to open that vault. And when you go back to the PlayStation 3, there was one individual, the name escapes my mind in the moment, Geohot. where, yes, they were renowned mm-hmm. for hacking the PlayStation 3. And they did it because Sony took away Linux. Yes. And Sony challenged the community and 
he gladly accepted that challenge, right. won, and eventually went on, I believe, went on to work for like Facebook. Yeah, he did. Uh, from memory, <laughs> Sony was threatening to take him to court. They settled out of court. He got mm-hmm. a bunch of money in exchange for never talking about Sony or or even touching Sony hardware again and ended up working at Facebook. Yes, that was one of the conditions is that he could never touch our Sony hardware again. Yeah. And but yeah, he was I mean, if you were online during those days, every time a PlayStation 3 topic came up, his name was tied to it. He was, you know, famous. Yeah, I saw him on TV on late yeah. night television. He was he was a big deal during you know those that those years and you know we're probably not going to have a individual reach that stratosphere of popularity or even recognition in the hacker scene now mm-hmm. but it does feel as though this is the this is baby's first steps yes that's a good way to put it baby's mm-hmm. first steps and now we're just waiting to see will the next step lead to actual walking yeah. running or is the scene going to fall over again before we see the baby stand up and try to take another step and we really don't have an answer to that right now because the glimpse that we've seen is it's very minimal but right. we have finally seen behind the curtain so i will say that on the ps4 um which you can exploit a playstation for again you need a certain firmware revision and I believe version 9 is the highest you can go. So that's pretty fairly modern, right, when, it, when we talk about the PS4 because I think we're up to firmware 10 right now. So if you have a, f- a firmware 9 PS4 or below, you can exploit a PS4. But what what can you actually do with a modded or a, a hacked PS5? Well, there's two things, right? Well, there's probably three things that, that most people are going to want to do. The first one is they're going to want to play games illegally, so pirating games, right? Um, and that's just the reality. Like you said, it's just a byproduct of hacking a system. It means if you have the ability to run unsigned code, then you should have the ability to either dump your games and then play them uh, whenever you want or download them and, and install them. Now, mm-hmm. piracy is definitely going to be a factor of this. Now, one of the things that Sony does is... And they're very clever at this. And this is something they did back in the days of the PSP, as you mentioned, was let's say they release, um, let's say that the tomorrow the PS5 is is uh, fully jailbroken and you can start playing uh, pirated games on it. Mm-hmm. When When God of War Ragnarok comes out, it's going to have on the disc, it's going to have um, a firmware that's probably going to be version six point something. And you can't play Ragnarok unless you have that minimum firmware number, which is firmware six. And it means if you try to install it on a 4.03 hacked PS5, it's going to want you to upgrade immediately to version six, therefore closing the loophole or fixing the security issue. And I think that's a pretty clever way for them to control um, piracy. But I will say that hackers have figured out ways to work around that as well. It's not foolproof, but I, I remember on the P, the days of the PS4 when the, if you recall, the 
demo for Final Fantasy VII Remake came out. Um, not not the actual game. I'm talking about the demo where it was like it was found on some Sony server in the back end, and I think it ran on 8.5 at the time. And at the time, the highest firmware that you could run the exploit on was like version 5.05. And I think eventually they got it to work, but it wasn't something that just worked. You know, you would have to, um, there's no way you could, you, there's no way you could run it. So mm-hmm. piracy is definitely going to be uh, something that most people, well, not most people, but some people in the community are going to want to do. And that is unfortunate because that's when we'll start to see PS5s, you know, appear on ebay with a hard drive with you know 30 games installed on it and that's the kind of (laughs) stuff that i will never advocate for uh i think it's disgusting and i think that anyone that does that should should go to jail i mean you're 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 doing illegal behavior there (laughs) i think the thing that's more interesting to me is being able to run something like linux on there and then getting access to install uh, PC games via Steam or um, Steam OS, or even running uh, games, you know, using XCloud or uh, Xbox Game Pass, because all of a sudden now you have a pretty powerful game console that should be able to run games very, very well under Linux. And uh, I think for me, that's kind of the most exciting part. Um, but I mean, ultimately, it's not really anything that exciting anymore. You know, when we talked about um, the days of, you know, when you hacked the Xbox original or you hacked the PSP, you would put emulators and ROMs on there and you would, ha- and it would be awesome. Even the switch to it, to a certain extent as well, when, when that got hacked, the mm-hmm. PS5 is not, is not um, something that you could compare that to. It's, there are, there are hoops that you have to jump through to exploit it. Um, and it's not a easy and clean user experience. It's it's definitely someone like you said um, that has to really mess around with like the file system and configuration files and and do all sorts of stuff. But um, so <laughs> I think for most people, it's probably just a passing curiosity. Um, but there is definitely a a large portion of the homebrew community that is eagerly awaiting next steps here to see you know how far we can we can take this and uh i think if you ask me i i think it's only a matter of time um before we we start to see you know people installing games on there and 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 stuff like that yeah it was definitely curious as you were mentioning earlier how much misreporting was being done about this jailbreak where a lot had assumed the worst they thought that this was going to lead to you know mass piracy that it's just gonna it's just gonna be doom right for the playstation 5 and for sony and that's why at the beginning of the episode i thought it was important to give a quick background lesson as to what this truly is and what it means and how the exploit has already been addressed sony has known about it for 11 months they patched it out eight months ago and it shows how i guess you want to use the term reactionary yes that you can see a lot of coverage where they just saw a they saw a tweet mm-hmm. that had omitted some context, and that's no that's not shaming Lance. Yeah, I mean Lance. His video was he jailbroke his PS5, and then he went to mm-hmm. the package manager, and he had PT there ready to install 
Yeah. But you can't install it. <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he had hope though. Yeah, yeah he had hope. And-, <laughs> and and eventually, you know, eventually he will be able to do that. But as of mm-hmm. right now, you cannot do that. You're right. Yeah. Like so people saw that initial reveal and they craft articles and videos of you know of concern of what does this mean and it was really just an additional few minutes of research and you would have found out that this was old it was already taken care of and that sony had authorized the disclosure publicly of what the exploit and bug actually are and all of a sudden the community the communication and conversation around the jailbreak shifts like as we're talking right now this isn't a concern right now there is no there's nothing to be concerned for it's as you mentioned a curiosity and it's interesting for the homebrew scene and individuals like yourself to be able to take their older unused ps5s yep. that had the low enough firmware to put this exploit in see what is available there and you know there are people deep diving this now they're trying to see What's here that we can use to advance the homebrew scene? Mm-hmm. Is there anything that we can actually use from this? Because we know Sony's already, you know, patched out this loophole. Yeah. But is there something that we can dissect here and use for future advancements? As we mentioned, this is a baby taking its first steps. We're all just waiting for the second step and wondering when is it going to come? It could be three months from now, six months, it could still be another year. Right. But there is going to be advancement. Yeah. And, you know, this was just step one in a mile-long race. Yeah, and one thing you mentioned there that I want to touch on as well is mm-hmm. Sony, it, it seems like if you just look at this, you know, if you if you look at YouTube videos and look at media articles about this, it seems like that, Sony was caught, um, you know, with with a system that once again is exploited, and mm-hmm. they're in they're in a spot above her. Whereas that is not accurate at all. Sony is controlling this entire thing now. They obviously don't control if people are able to get pirated games running on an exploited PS5, but the actual the entire messaging and the entire um, timeline of this exploit, uh, Sony has been aware of since the beginning, since it was announced to them, and that mm-hmm. that is something that you know I, I, a lot of people don't really seem to can get their head around. Like you said, this is something that has been around for a long time, and ultimately, if Sony didn't want this exploit to be made public then they would have stipulated in their hacker one bounty that you cannot disclose this, but they did not. They, they were absolutely fine to disclose it. Uh, so that tells me that they are aware of it. They um, will keep one eye on what's happening in the scene. And I think from their perspective, their only concerns here is, and I don't even know if this is even possible, Nate, um, whether somehow they, you know, people figure out how to run games on there and access the PlayStation Network, even though you're running an, a very, very low firmware Ooh. PS5, it doesn't sound like on paper that would be possible. But you know, mm. I, I, I don't, 
I'm not surprised by anything anymore either. So anything that could potentially mess with their online infrastructure or um, or cheating online, things like that, you know, running, you know, the days of like Call of Duty lobbies and all, all that kind of stuff that, that happened, you know, back in the mid-2000s. Things like that, um, I think that they would be interested in, but the actual exploit itself and, you know, what what has eventuated to date, I mean, they're, they're aware of it. They're, they know exactly what's going on here. So um, I think, you know, for them, hopefully this is um, the last time that their system gets exploited. But as we've seen, history will tell us that that's probably not true. Uh, I, I heard just today that even though this firmware exploit is for 4.03, I heard today that it also works on 4.51. So, you know, like you said, there is a lot of people that are, are looking into this now and, and um, whether mm-hmm. it's a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a couple of years, we don't know, but there'll definitely be more, more coming from this, I'm sure. So that leads me to this final follow-up question of why should Sony disclose this information publicly? Why should they authorize a public disclosure of the exploit and the steps taken to take advantage of a security flaw? Uh, that is a good question. I don't really... Like, know. Aside from monetary gains yeah. and the bug bounty. Um, I'm not really sure why they would they would be okay with disclosing this stuff. Maybe it has to do with um, the fact that a lot of the tools that they use are open source that they acquire licenses mm-hmm. for. So maybe they have to disclose some of these things. So let's say, for example, um, th- so this bug, uh, this exploit that uh, Andy Nguyen, otherwise known as the Flow, had found uh, last November was to do with the internet stack, I believe. And mm-hmm. if that internet stack was developed by a third party and they licensed that code, then maybe they have to disclose that um, in a public forum. Maybe that's the license stipulates that. But... I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's if it's you know one of those things where it's like, you know, if you take care of us, we'll take care of you, and we'll be sure to disclose it. Um, maybe it's more about crediting the uh, security researcher with the find publicly in an open forum. I don't, but I don't really know. I'm just making guesses, and um, you mm-hmm. know, I'm actually curious to hear what what you think because I I don't really know what the main benefit would be. In that scenario yeah i mean disclosing it really it kind of baffles me because if they are you know submitted the bug log they address it they fix it now they never put this out publicly no one no one would be talking about it right now because you wouldn't have known it existed right they would have they would have paid andy or the flow his ten thousand dollar bounty they would have patched it out and as far as everyone viewing it from the outside, you know, from the peanut gallery, mm-hmm. you'd be viewing the PlayStation 5 as still a, for lack of a better term, on a hackable platform. Yes. And you would think from a public perception point, Sony would like to have that around their console that you can't hack us. But maybe at the same time, by coming off as, you know, the unhackable system, mm-hmm. someone wants to be the iceberg. Yeah. They want to sink the ship. And now if you disclose it, people can say, 
oh, you know, they were aware of something. They've already addressed it. And by disclosing it, I guess it could maybe deter others who may have been going down that path already and to find out like, oh, it's already been done. That's a good point, actually. I, maybe maybe that's the reason. Maybe that is basically announcing that, look, this has already been discovered. So if you were, mm. if you were already going down this path, then there's no point because someone else has found it already. Yeah. Like, yeah, if all of a sudden you went to Reddit and someone says, oh, on as long as you're on firmware before, you know, 4.3 and you do all of these, you can gain access to this. And they can say, yeah, we know Sony disclosed it publicly two weeks ago. Right. And then right. that person's going to sit to say, oh, well, never mind then. I didn't discover anything apparently. So maybe that's a rule, but it's really, it's hard to guess why Sony would disclose it publicly in terms of just from a perception standpoint, because it does feel as though this is something that they'd want to keep secret and just continue to allow everyone to assume that yeah. the system is unhackable. And, you know, I'd, I would be curious to hear from maybe individuals like Andy who have submitted to the bounty program, why they, why they themselves go there beyond the monetary reasons. I mean, it is a substantial amount of money, but at the same time, they could easily just go to Twitter. They could go to Reddit and, disclose the steps and cause Sony a true headache. Well, I think that comes down to ethical hacking at that point. So there's right. there's the two types. There's the black hat and the white hat. The white hats obviously are the ones that, that work with the company and do not do anything malicious. They they disclose these things. Um, the black hack one the black hat hackers and maybe and I gotta be <laughs> honest, political correctness twenty twenty two, I'm not even sure if that's what I should be saying anymore. Um, but they're the ones that kind of cause a lot of damage and, and you know, um, try to hold companies to ransom. And we've seen GTA 5 leaks and stuff like that. That type of hacking is is obviously, mm-hmm. um, you know, the stuff that you don't want to get involved with. And I think, you know, finding an exploit and then kind of announcing it on Twitter without, um, you know, talking to the company beforehand is probably something that Sony would not appreciate. Uh, and again, going back to why you have the the, the mm. Hacker One initiative in the first place, you know. Right. One thing that I want to mention real quick, um, a lot of these exploits that have been found, if you look at Hacker One and look at the PlayStation 5 exploits, a lot of them have origins on the PS4. And we kind of touched on it real quick earlier, but it does make me wonder... Did Sony, I don't want to say rush out the PS5, out the door, but I do wonder that why didn't they just sit down and spend a little more time on the security side? Because I feel like if you're finding exploits in the PS5 that occur on the PS4, then that kind of tells me that you didn't really spend that Mm. much time on your security as much as maybe you wanted to. Right. Yeah. It, it feels as though they just took already what they had built, improved upon it, but mm-hmm. didn't fix any of the holes that may have been there. Yeah. And like this is a good example of it. If this is exactly the same thing that Andy had done on the PlayStation 4 to find this exploit and he just replicated it on the PlayStation 5, this should have been something that was already on Sony's radar. Right. And we're discovering that it wasn't, especially, you know, within that first year until it was reported to the bug bounty program. And, you know, 
now it's been since addressed, but that feels as though it shouldn't have been there in the first place, mm-hmm. unless it's something that they inadvertently opened up through firmware updates over the last, you know, from the launch year until November of last year. Maybe that's what happened. But if it was there since day one, you would have thought they would have had a stronger security system in place at the launch of new hardware, considering they are aware of what happened to the PlayStation 4. Yeah. So I mean, in that's contrast, definitely a curious... In contrast to Nintendo, I mean, the Switch, <laughs> when it came out, obviously had a massive, massive hardware flaw that mm-hmm. to this day is unpatchable. But Nintendo just releasing your hardware and fixed the issue. And mm-hmm. even though there is, I don't know, I mean, a few million exploited switches out there, maybe 5 million, I don't know what the number is. There's like 100 million Nintendo Switches out there now. So they've completely just, you know, diluted that that whole whole scene very quickly. And now it's more of a, like you said, just like a hobbyist thing or it's just a very small community really that has Nintendo Switches that, that are exploitable. Yeah, I think, well, it was what? It was the Redbox revision that eradicated the paperclip exploit for the switch so uh, that's right yes the Mario so nintendo yeah so nintendo may have had in the area of closer to 30 million systems out there that could be exploited that's a, that's quite more than i thought so but you know out of that out of that number how many yeah are actually within the community who want to hack or yeah you know modify their system in any way so you know probably in terms of active users who are curious in the homebrew scene or, you know, piracy, mm-hmm. that's probably closer to the number you, you know, were quoted at, you know, five, six million people. Yeah. Because out of, you know, out of that mass amount, how many are kids? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, they're not taking paper clips to their switch. No, no. My, my kid has a, <laughs> a launch switch, which I know is exploitable because by definition it is, but I've never modded it or anything. There's, there's, you know he does he's not interested in that at all (laughs) yeah it's definitely the jailbreak situation was definitely a topic that was you know worth having the conversation on and i hope everyone who would listen to this came away more informed on it and if you saw the headlines and thought this was bad news for sony you can now leave realizing this really wasn't anything for sony they are the reason it was known it's the reason you're seeing in headlines right now it's the reason we're talking about it they authorized it and sony is two steps ahead of us on this because you have individuals like andy who are finding these exploits they are reporting it to sony sony is in turn paying them handsomely in fact and this is the cycle of keeping a system secure but it is going to potentially allow the homebrew scene to advance and it's going to be a scene that's going to be worth watching now that the first step has been made. I think so. I mean, you know, we, we joke about playing PS2 games on the Xbox Series S via dev mode. Well, <laughs> you never know. We may be playing Game Pass games on our PS5s. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. And if Half-Life Alex doesn't come to PSVR 2, you, you could get Steam running on the PS5, right. play some Half-Life Alex from your PS5. Maybe I'll plug in a third-party uh, VR headset as well and play it. We'll see. see. Yeah. The possibilities are truly endless. And now the second topic for today, one that has lit a fire to Twitter. 
It was the Nintendo Direct, which had no video games, but it was the Super Mario movie. And it gave our first glimpse at the visual direction of the game, as well as hearing the voice actors and whether or not they captured the essence of the characters that they are portraying. And in the trailer, we really we heard from four characters. We heard from Toad, Bowser, Mario, and the King Penguin, which is kind of a nice little character to see on screen, because if you played Mario 64, you know exactly the history that Mario has with penguins, like throwing babies off cliffs. Mm-hmm. But everyone was curious as to how will Jack Black sound as Bowser and how will Chris Pratt sound as Mario? And, well, MVG, what are your impressions of Chris Pratt as Mario? I thought he was good. I didn't hate his voice. I watched the trailer about three times. And i got to be honest, it, 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 it works for me. I'm not saying that, you know, there's no one better that could do a better Mario voice, but it did work for me and I'm I'm convinced that, you know, this is Mario, not not Chris Pratt. So I enjoyed I enjoyed the trailer. I thought actually I thought it was better than I thought it was gonna be. I really like the opening scenes with Bowser. And the Jack Black plays Bowser very, very well. Uh, his voice is, is is excellent. And there's enough here to make me think this is going to be a fun movie when it comes out. But uh, overall, I I was fine with 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 uh, Chris Pratt and as the voice of Mario. Um, are there better actors that could have done a better job? <laughs> Maybe, but. I'm happy with with the casting at least. What what's what's your thoughts on this? Um, so I think Jack Black absolutely nailed Bowser. He sounds evil. He has you know a deep voice going on, and you know I think the delivery from the few lines that we heard were you know just spot on. Chris Pratt as Mario, I'm not convinced based on the small sample size that we were given here. And that's a good point. It's it's not like I wasn't expecting Charles Martinet. I wasn't expecting that type of delivery for Mario because that type of voicing for like a two hour movie, even an hour and a half movie would become very grating. And when I think of like Mario's voice, that isn't even the first you know voice I think about because Charles Martinet's version of Mario. Yes, we've known about it since Mario 64. It's the voice a whole generation of gamer has heard. But my first exposure to Mario talking was Captain Lou Albano on the Super Mario show. Yeah, Lou Albano was awesome. (laughs) He was. And then in the 1990, was it 1992, 1993 movie with Bob Hoskins. Mm -hmm. So like the voice of Mario, I don't have a set tone that I need to hear delivered. All I kind of look for is He's supposed to be an Italian-American from Brooklyn who's a plumber. Yeah. The, the, I guess the tone I'm getting from Chris Pratt in this trailer just doesn't match that feel. It still sounded like Chris Pratt trying to do a Brooklyn accent a little bit, not fully. And if you're going to go Brooklyn, commit to Brooklyn. Yeah. Don't 
don't go halfway. Go, you know, you have to go full. And when I hear Jack Black as Bowser, you can tell he's having fun with the role. He made the character his own. And it feels like Chris Pratt isn't, it doesn't feel like he's acting, I guess is the term I would use. It feels as though he's just reading the lines for the character, whereas Chris, whereas Jack Black is, in fact, playing Bowser. Now, let me ask and, you a question. Did, mm-hmm. did Chris Pratt's voice kind of take you out of the trailer? Did it kind of make you feel like, um, I, I'm not sold on this? It didn't take me out from the trailer or even the character. It was just kind of, I, it was more the expectation of them saying, oh, he's done a great job with the voicing. And then hearing it, and it was just, it sounds like Chris Pratt. Had it come and surprised me of like, wow, that delivery was really strong. I think I would have walked away different. I think it was, I think my disappointment isn't so much his overall delivery as much as they were promising something great. And it just doesn't seem like that. If they, if they had been promising Jack Black giving a fantastic Bowser, I'd still feel excited about his performance because we did in fact hear a fantastic Bowser. And, you know, we're going to see future trailers and maybe Chris Pratt's work will grow on me. His chops, his acting chops will open up <laughs> and everything will be forgiven. The internet will forgive him. <laughs> will they? Though? No, probably not. So <laughs> here's a question for you. So before they showed the trailer, they had a little mm-hmm. clip of both Jack Black and Chris Pratt. And Chris mm-hmm. Pratt was trying to convince the audience that he's a big oh, Mario God. fan. And fail dismally let's be honest the man doesn't play video games and he certainly hasn't played mario brothers because he did what do you say i i I hit coopers or something he said something ridiculous but but he like yeah he gave such a lot he's like he's like i always enjoy jumping on coopers uh coopers (laughs) i mean it was it was just absurd it was it was almost i mean it was cringeworthy so did that kind of have any impact on your opinions on Chris Pratt or did you just basically just go based on what you saw in in the trailer basically just went in what I saw with the trailer and like I've seen there's been a lot of critique of Pratt's delivery in particular online and I see a lot of people counter saying well why did you expect Charles Martinet and I don't think a lot of people were expecting Charles Martinet or even an imitation of Charles Martinet yeah I think they were just expecting something that didn't sound exactly like Chris Pratt. And I mean, like Bob Hoskins, he had that, you know, gritty New Yorker delivery when he played the character. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was British. Um, Lou Albano didn't do anything except just talk as himself, but it felt like, yeah, he came off as though he was a Brooklyn plumber. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm just not getting that from Pratt right now. And that can easily be rectified through hearing longer lines yeah. in future trailers. So that's just like, that's my hot take. Yeah, my I mean, knee-jerk we, reaction at the moment. We heard three lines maybe from Mario. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't much. Yeah, it was very, very little. We definitely heard a lot more from Bowser. Yeah. And one thing I have seen is people wondering about the story of the game and they're actually doing the story correctly if you want to go through mario canon and this is gonna definitely age me (laughs) but 
as you noticed in the trailer when we first see Mario, he's confused. Yes. He doesn't know where he is. So if you're familiar with the original Mario games or even the cartoon show, Mario is literally a plumber from Brooklyn who goes down a warp pipe and ends up in the Mushroom Kingdom. Right. He's not native to the Mushroom Kingdom. And the fact that they're referencing the true canon and the true lore in this movie was refreshing because I've seen some people wondering, like, oh, how come he's confused as to where he is? That's that, that's how it happens. Yeah. Just a lot of recent games don't make that reference anymore. They just make you think he lives there. And the whole cartoon show was him trying to find him and Luigi trying to find a pipe home. And they just never did. So from a visual aspect, I think they nailed the aesthetic of, you know, the whole Mario universe. I think everything I think so live too. and breathe what you would expect Mario to be. Yeah. So, I mean, it has my interest. I mean, I don't know if I'd go to a theater to see the movie just based on the trailer we've seen right now. It's definitely, it looks promising. This looks like a big budget movie for Illumination. Oh, big there time. is big time. There's a lot of money behind this game. This oh, yeah. Film. Yeah. It's it, it looks like it's a big budget game, and I look. I want to see. I want to see another trailer. I mean, this was more mm-hmm. of a tease than anything. It was a teaser trailer. Like we didn't really yeah. get much out of this. Um, I'd like to see another trailer before I decide if I'm going to go see it. I think um, you know, based on at least this first bit, it looked really good. You know, it surprised me actually uh, how how good it looked. I didn't think it would be this high of a budget, but of course it's Nintendo. Um, they've got millions of dollars in the bank that they can spend, and this Mario, uh, this Nintendo Pictures initiative that they're doing, seems like um, maybe it's a longer term thing for them. But yeah, I mean, overall, I was uh, I was surprised. I enjoyed it. I uh, I was okay with Chris Pratt. I had no real concerns with him. Now. I mean, on the flip side of what you said, when we mm-hmm. hear more of Chris Pratt in the movie, that my opinion could change. You know, I, I may True. I may not like how he talks <laughs> in the movie. But based on the three lines that I heard, I was okay with it. And, you know, as long as it's it's not uh, Chris Pratt's voice coming out too much, then I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll enjoy the movie. There was one line that made me laugh just because of the obscurity of it is the trailer ends with Mario saying, here we come. Mario's one of Mario's catchphrases is here we go. Here we go. Not here. We Why come. is he saying here we come? I don't know. Could have said here we go. Right. That's a good point. But you know, you have to remember <laughs> Miyamoto is like, he's like the creative influence on this, on this movie. Like, <laughs> I heard that line. I was like, but here we go is right there for you. And you said, here we come. Yeah, that was, that was weird. (laughs) The other thing is I did see the trailer in other countries in the world, like France and Italy and Germany and Spain. Have you seen some of those trailers? Yes. And people are saying that the voice of Mario is more authentic in those. Well, I mean, of course, especially the French and the Italian ones, 
Um, but what's what's considered authentic well, in this case? That's, that's, that's what, I guess that's what I'm getting at, right? Like, um, and you were touching on it before, you know, maybe the, the Mario that we have here in the US, Chris Pratt, is not New York enough, you know? It's not Brooklyn mm-hmm. enough. Maybe maybe we did need to cast a native New Yorker or, you know, someone from Brooklyn to really fit into that role. And there's probably some actors mm-hmm. that, that could, could take on that role, oh, yeah. I would say. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it is interesting that they chose Chris Pratt for the, for the spot I mean, in the end. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, imagine if you had, like, Michael Imperioli as yep. Mario. Yep. I mean, I get it, picturing Christopher Moltisanti from The Sopranos as uh, Mario may be a little odd, or Al Pacino. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pacino would be good. Like, the, the only thing with Pacino is I feel like his voice is too raspy now because he's kind of really old. He's got that Pacino voice, you know. Yeah, if it was still like Michael Corleone yeah. age. That'd be cool. It, but like, like even like John Totoro. Yeah. He, you know... It's, I think the problem is they wanted a big name to play Mario. And yeah. unfortunately, the best they could get was Chris Pratt. I don't know. I mean, damn, if you know, if like James Gandolfini was still around, could you yeah. picture Tony Soprano voicing Mario? Oh, yeah. Like, but like, like, I think that's how I pictured Mario to be for this movie is more along those lines. And Chris Pratt just hasn't delivered a performance to get to that level yet based on the small sample we have and you know as you were saying we need to see a longer trailer before we can really come to any concrete opinion Mm -hmm. as to whether or not pratt was right for this role and you know like right now i'm just on this side of indifference yeah i'm not sold on the performance yet i have to hear more you are on the side of i'm sold on it but Mm -hmm. he could easily lose me you know, if 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 mm-hmm. uh, the voice doesn't translate well, you know, like there is one other voice out of the cast of characters that have been confirmed for the movie that I do have a little hesitation going towards, and it's Donkey Kong, who's going to be voiced by Seth Rogen. If it's just Seth Rogen talking, yeah, that that may take me out because. I, yeah, I don't. I can't picture a stoned Donkey Kong. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I could. I can see that. I could see that could go badly. Like, I, if he makes it his own, like Jack Black does, then I could see. Like, I think he's a great casting choice for Donkey Kong. Right. I just don't want him to just phone it in and just talk as Seth Rogen. Yeah, that's it. And you know, we still have to see Princess Peach. We still have to see a lot of characters that are Luigi. going to be featured in I mean, this we movie. Saw, we saw Luigi for a half a second. Like, yeah, with like Luigi, I've seen some people wondering, like, well, what do you think Luigi's going to be? It's Luigi's voiced by Charlie Day. Yeah. You know what you're getting from Charlie Day. He's going to go over the top, as he very frequently does with his characters. And you know the voice you're getting from him. Now... I mean, I'm going to be curious if he tries to go very Brooklyn with his delivery. He is a Rhode Island native like myself, so he could definitely get, he might have to tap into his Rhode Island accent a bit mm-hmm. and, you know, drop some R's and A-R's on words like water, car. <laughs> right. Annoy <laughs> people. <laughs> so how will Mario beat Bowser in the movie? Will he destroy the bridge or will he grab his tail? <laughs> Or some other way. Oh, 
a good question. It's a lot of ways you can beat Bowser. Hmm. Will he even beat Bowser in this movie? Well, I mean, that's the thing. Can you really truly ever beat Bowser? And, you know, if we look at like the intro and as I was saying, they are referencing the lore correctly, you would imagine they're probably going to do a reference to the original games of Bowser falling off a bridge or whatever into the lava pit. Mm -hmm. So if he is defeated, I would imagine it's going to be some sort of reference along those lines and you know i wonder how they're really going to tackle that in a kids movie watching a giant dinosaur turtle yeah. be submerged into molten hot magma <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's pretty uh it's pretty intense <laughs> but yeah like my overall opinion of the movie i mean i think as I said, the visuals look great the music i'm sure they're going to nail as they mentioned they have koji kondo yes so I don't have any concerns from a visual or a musical point. It's my only concern is really going to be the voice performances from a select few actors and, you know, actresses. Mm -hmm. Jack Black definitely solidified confidence on my side. And, you know, I will be interested to see more of the trailers moving forward. And, you know, I think this movie, based on this very small teaser trailer, this movie is going to do exceptionally well oh, yeah. in the box office oh, when it yeah. releases next year. Worldwide. It's gonna it's gonna sell out worldwide. It's it's gonna be big. Yeah, this is gonna be by far the biggest video game movie ever to hit theaters. Mm -hmm. And you know, after after I see a couple more trailers, I may I may even go to a theater and check the movie out because like I said, the visual aesthetic is just really damn good yeah and hopefully we've turned a bit of a page with video game movies you know the sonic movies have been have been good both of them i enjoyed so hopefully you know there's always been that stigma when it comes to video game adaptations to the cinemas where the movies have been low budget or they haven't been very good i think about the bad old days of like movies like max Payne and just horrible horrible oh movies that they tried to <laughs> make out of great video games and failed so hopefully this continues on from you know the success of sonic and sonic 2 and um detective pikachu and some of these newer kind of video game adaptations that are doing pretty well that are slowly giving the fans what they want yeah, we grew up during that generation where every video game related movie was terrible. Yep. Even if even if it was kind of like a maybe became a cult classic, like the Mario Brothers movie eventually became. Yeah. And I like the Mortal but, Kombat movie, even though it's cheesy oh, yeah. as hell. I'm a fan of it. I like it. And we had the Street Fighter movie. Yep, like that too. I know a lot of people, but I, I do like it. And and then, as you mentioned, we had like the Max Payne. We had wasn't there a House of the Dead movie? There was. There was obviously those terrible Silent Hill movies, um, the Resident <laughs> Evil movies. Yeah, Doom, Assassin's Creed. Was it? There was Assassin's Creed, right? Yes, there was Assassin's mm -hmm. Creed. There was Prince of Persia. Yep. Uh, uh, there was Hitman twice. Oh yeah, oh yeah, Hitman. Yeah, with Timothy <laughs> Oliphant. Yes. Yeah, they weren't terrible. Those movies. I mean, there's been some decent ones. I hope I hope this Mario movie ends up being good and it doesn't doesn't bomb. Uh, I think it has the makings of a good good movie and I think the story um, will be on point. But we'll see we'll see how it goes. 
I mean, story-wise, it's off to the proper start. Yep. It's going to educate some people on the true ori- origins of how Mario got to the Mushroom Kingdom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now we can go to some of the Streamlab questions for this week. Our first comes from Kev R.A., who donated $2, and it's a three-part question, so they followed up an additional $2 for each subsequent question. And the first part goes, I just found out you can't do online play with more than one person per console on the Switches N64 emulator. What? Why? Do you think this will ever change? This just sounds awful. Like, imagine I have three friends that want to play GoldenEye. My friend lives down the street who doesn't own a Switch can't come over to play GoldenEye or online GoldenEye with our other friend and his wife that live an hour away from us. We all have to own a Switch and we all have to be in the same room or we all have to be in the same room together. Now, I don't actually have friends, but if I did, I would be very upset by this. Hmm. Good hypothetical. Does does this not work? Like, I'm thinking about Star Fox 64 does that not mm-hmm. work in the way that he is saying? I've never tested I, it. I've never tested having a local player with me than going online. Yeah. But, I mean, you would imagine from an infrastructure standpoint, it shouldn't matter since the NSO's N64 online is just ad hoc where it is simply replicating that an additional controller is plugged into the system locally. Right. So I don't see why having a local player would disrupt that. Yeah, I would agree. Um, but I haven't I haven't tested that out, so we'll have to take a look. Yeah, I would have to look into that and actually test it and discover if that is the case. And if it is the case, it's actually a baffling decision mm-hmm. because I don't see why this should be a limitation on the emulator. Yeah. I would imagine it would be able to recognize it's just and just go about it that's i would agree it it would be baffling yeah yeah it's a curious development something i have to look into then had a question from zubmer who donated a dollar and writes clarification on last week's question i was asking about the logistics of developing a brand new game meant to run on the analog pocket something akin to the good boy galaxy Oh, okay. We're talking about FPGA and stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, uh, I guess what what you're asking for, and and I if I'm not understanding this question properly, I apologize. But see, if you're saying developing a game for the analog pocket, then you're essentially saying that you're building a Game Boy or a Game Boy Color or a Game Boy Advance game that runs on the pocket. So um, to do that, I mean isn't difficult to do there's open source there's homebrew um, development kits that you can download for any of those systems and make games on but again if i'm not understanding what you're asking i apologize but like i think we've covered both the fpga side and the software side um but yeah hopefully that answers it hopefully that answers. yeah i I think that's the angle they're going for this Then had a dollar donation from Jackie G, who says, Do you think Reggie has hacked his 3DS yet? I don't think Reggie has turned on a 3DS, a Switch, or any Nintendo-related platform since he left Nintendo. And I think he rarely turned them on when he was at Nintendo. Jim Ryan, Doug Bowser, Reggie, none of these guys play video games. Come on. 
I mean, there's we have video proof of Reggie playing Smash Brothers at E3 MVG. Yep. And he did horrendously in a public forum. Yep. And we also saw him play Mario Kart on the 3DS where he continually crashed into the wall. See, at least Phil Spencer like has his gamer tag everywhere and you can actually see what he's playing. Usually just Destiny 2. That's true. But I mean, you don't see <laughs> you don't see like the big executives play video games. Uh, I mean, there was the one time Reggie tweeted out his save file for Dragon Quest Nine, or what he claimed was his save file time. He's like, look, I've put in 80 hours. Like, no, you let the system run for 80 <laughs> hours with the game running in the background. <laughs> but like, yeah, as you may, like Phil Spencer, he is a gamer. Um, Yoshida from PlayStation is a big gamer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Always posting his trophy, like his conquest on Twitter. So there are some CEOs within game companies who are big gamers, but Reggie fils isn't a gamer. He didn't hack his 3DS. No. Probably hacked his Switch, though. Probably, yeah. <laughs> then had a dollar donation from Ian H. Sai. Right, hi Nate and MVG. Last episode, you guys talked about games costing higher than they do in the US. That reminds me of a weird case in Taiwan. Here in Taiwan, Elden Ring cost around the equivalent of 40 US dollars, whereas other games cost around 60. Yeah, one second, this comment is continued on YouTube in the comment section. All right. So when later games come out selling for $60, some people, which I deem ignorant, would comment, this game is okay, but Elden Ring costs 40 What do you think about this pricing and about people's comments? I wouldn't know why Elden Ring would cost 40 in that scenario. It seems uh, interesting to me. Yeah, I'd be curious as to why it was cheaper compared to other games in the region. But as for like individuals who are going to say, well, yeah, this game, this game's good, but, you know, it's no Elden Ring and Elden Ring was less. That's where the pricing debate on gaming is. Is a curious topic, because I don't think one should use pricing to dictate quality. Yeah. So, like, in this example where they say, oh, you know, like, yeah, the game's okay, but Elden Ring costs 40 bucks. So, it seems as though they're saying, I'm not going to buy a game for 60 because Elden Ring is cheaper. Right. Why, like, what's the intent for, what's the intent for doing that? It's in that scenario, for whatever reason, Elden Ring is cheaper. But if the standard of games is typically the equivalent of 60 US dollars, in Taiwan, then I would just say, cool, I got the game at a discount mm -hmm. compared to the standard price. So, I mean, I would agree with your assessment of individuals who are using that type of line are ignorant. And it just seems as though they're trying to hate on a game that perhaps they don't even have interest in by saying it costs more than I'm willing to pay, yeah. which again, like I, that probably is sounding wrong. If you don't think a game is worth $70, that's okay. You don't have to think a game is worth $70. You don't have to think a game is worth $60. 
you can wait until the game is discounted and on sale for a price point that you find reasonable and you're willing to spend money on. And you as the consumer have every right to do that. No one can ever or should tell you that you're wrong in that state. Right. Um, but I don't think an individual should be able to look at a game, be it Elden Ring or whatever, and say, well, the best game of all time only costs 50. So that game costing 70, yeah, it looks good, but you know, it's no best game of all time. Well, just because a publisher decided to sell their best game of all time for a cheaper price doesn't diminish the quality of a game coming in at a higher price. Yeah. Very well so, said. Yeah. That's where pricing is a, it's a difficult topic to really address. It requires a lot of nuance and understanding from all parties involved in the conversation. And if anyone's using pricing as a defense of trying to dismiss a game, yeah, I would say that they are ignorant. And the final question for this week in Streamlabs comes from Figment, who donated a dollar and writes, would a connection between a new hardware and Tears of the Kingdom be a reason why Nintendo hasn't shown much of the game and that it was delayed until May 2023? Also, the May date is curious, too. How do companies determine exact release dates? So I don't think Nintendo is holding back gameplay footage of the title due to hardware, because at this point we've seen the game running on the current Switch. So they would just continue to show you assets running on the current Switch hardware that everyone can currently own, and they can show as much or as little of the game as they see fit. I think they just want to keep as much of the gameplay surprise in regards to Tears of the Kingdom as they can, and they're doing their marketing very deliberately so they're intentionally showing us just bits and pieces of the game and likely leading up to what would be a true blowout probably sometime in the first half of 2023 as we get closer to release um as for the delay until may of 2023 i mean you can speculate that's why it was delayed but you also have to factor in things like covid impact the you know just the scope and scale of the game itself yeah i mean all of these are unknown it really comes down to the development team at that point mm-hmm. when they think they're ready to um ship the game is probably what they're looking at you know yes they were probably told you know we feel confident we can be code complete by i'll just say april and Nintendo probably thought, well, we need a little bit more time to do some marketing around this game and, you know, when can we release this game? So they went with the May date. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, I would say most of the time, if a date's going to be picked, then it's based on where the game is at as far as being feature complete. Um, You know, is there a release candidate already to, to be tested and everything like that? Um, There are situations, of course, where the publisher takes matters into their own hands and demands that a game is available at a certain time. And we look at a game like Cyberpunk is a great example of that, (laughs) where the publisher pretty much dictated based on pressure from the shareholders that the game would be coming out. And when it did, it was an absolute disaster. But I think most of the time it's going to be based on 
what the publisher was told from the development team as to how far along they are and how much more time they think they need before the game can be uh, shipped out the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Nintendo is definitely looking at the state of this game. And even if the game could come out earlier, Nintendo will also choose May based on marketing studies and figuring out the best time for maximum impact. Because you can look at a title like Fire Emblem Engaged that's coming out in January. Now, what that says to me is this game, that game, if they wanted to, they could have released it this year. Easily. The game, yeah. the game is done, and it's just them saying, well, we don't need it for this holiday, so we'll hold it for January when people have some holiday money are maybe looking for a new game. We get to end our fiscal year with a big release. Mm-hmm. And with Breath of the Wild 2 or Tears of the Kingdom in May, they're looking to start the new fiscal year with a major release, strong software sales. And one thing I think has hurt the game in terms of public discussion is that people like to reference how long it's been since the original game, since the first game came out. So we're going to be going on six years when Tears of the Kingdom launches in comparison to when Breath of the Wild launched back in 2017. And people say, well, why did it take six years? It's reusing assets, it's blah, blah, blah. And that's not a fact. Mm -hmm. Is it sharing some assets? Yes. But a lot of people have assumed and incorrectly have assumed that it's using the exact same engine. It's Nintendo has shifted things. They're using an improved engine. They're using better tools. And that requires a lot. It's not, they didn't just take Breath of the Wild one and say, oh, we just have to build some stuff in the sky. Here's the game. That, if that were the case, the game would have been out three and a half years ago. Right. And remember, the game was originally developed on a Wii U, right? So, I mean, right. Things have definitely progressed since since then. Like you said, uh-huh. the, the engine has has morphed into something else, mm-hmm. and the tools have become better. And this is truly the first Zelda game running on the Switch exclusively that has no no ties to the Wii U at all. So yeah, you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Um, thing, things have definitely shifted, um, you know, a lot since since the original game came yeah. out in 2017. So I think that's kind of hurt the game in some discussion points where people are just like, oh, it's the same assets, same engine. It should have came out a lot quicker. Well, cause all those assumptions are incorrect. Yes, absolutely so, agree. And even if they do so use some the- assets and some animations, mm-hmm. it, that doesn't. that's only one small piece that we're talking about. You still have to right. come up with a, with a story. You still have to come up with the gameplay elements and all the different systems in this game that, that that's going to be, um, you know, that's going to use. Mm-hmm. There's there's so much more that goes into it than just you know lifting assets. Um, yeah, that's that's really sure. It may save some time, but I think over overall, it's pretty negligible the amount of time that you would save if you're just reusing mm-hmm. assets and stuff. I mean, even this, like the assumption that it's the exact same engine of Breath of the Wild 1 isn't one people should make that has never been disclosed publicly by Nintendo. They could be on a new engine completely that just, you know, maybe has some similarities to the Breath of the Wild 1 engine in terms of physics and stuff. And that's why whenever I see people 
make an article or a video saying, where's the game? Is Nintendo incompetent? What are they doing with this game? Don't assume you know what's going on behind the scenes in development. Right. There's, there's always a reason for these things to happen. Nintendo didn't just sit there for a whole generation working on this game and said, eh, we can just drag this out for six, seven years, however much time we need. There's a reason behind this. And when the game comes out next year, we'll learn exactly why. And if it's because they went to a new engine, even if they are reusing some assets from the original game, that explains why. Mm-hmm. So I don't think one can safely come away with a conclusion that it's related to new hardware because there are there's a laundry list of reasons as yeah. to why the game's coming out when it is and why it was delayed. Yep, agree. And that was the final Streamlabs question for this week. If you'd like to support the channel, we have a Streamlabs link in our description below. Donate any dollar amount, ask a question. We will answer it at the end of the episode. Donate $100 or more, and we will dedicate the episode to you. And today's episode, once again, is dedicated to the memory of Andre Korsinkin of 4A Games. And I'd like to thank MVG for joining me, as always. Always a pleasure, Knight. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And let us know your thoughts on the PlayStation 5 jailbreak situation, as well as your reaction to Chris Pratt and Jack Black in the Mario movie teaser trailer in the comment section below. Like the video if you enjoyed the video. If you did not like it, give it a dislike. And until next time, continue to embrace the hate.